Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Veterans Project Podcast. My name is Tim Kay. I'll be your host as always. I wanted to start off this incredibly epic podcast, uh, this amazing interview, by talking about an auction that we've got going on right now with Ronin Tactics and True Athletics. True Athletics has been kind enough to donate, alongside Ronin Tactics, donate this Ronin Tactics branded bumper plate set. We want to thank Ronin Tactics. They made this auction possible by allowing 100% of the proceeds to go to the Veterans Project and capturing the legacies of our allied military veterans. This is an exclusive elite performance set built for everyone from amateur lifters to high-level athletes. If you aren't interested in bidding, we just ask that you share the stories, the accompanying posts about the auction. That can help a lot as well. We know not everybody has the money to bid on this auction, but everyone can be included. And we're thankful for anyone and everyone sharing. Uh, This bumper plate set includes two 25-pounders, two 35-pounders, four 45-pounders, and two 55-pounders made of virgin rubber, chrome plating, with a 50.4-millimeter 50, 50. collar opening, raised lettering, and they're drop-tested 65,000 times. I don't know how they had the energy to do that. 65,000 times to ensure strength and durability. Uh, now, you can follow the link in the description that we'll put out there, and you place your bid there. You'll be asked to create a free account, and once you have an account, you'll be notified if someone has raised the bid. The auction will conclude at 11.59. This is important. 11.59 p.m. Central Standard Time, March 31st. That's in six days. So you got six days to bid on this exclusive set. At that point, we will connect you connect with you to discuss the best method of payment and a shipping address. And once payment has been completed, the bumper plate set will be shipped straight to you. So we want to thank True Athletics and Ronin Tactics for making this happen. Uh, such an incredible opportunity for us. We appreciate them greatly. Those of you who are already familiar with the Veterans Project pre-podcast might have read this legacy piece on our next guest. I've come to know Josue Barone in recent years as a friend, and even within that time span, his story still sticks out to me as one of the infinitely fascinating narratives on redemption in its purest form. The road wasn't easy for Josue. In fact, nothing about his path has been without peril. Growing up in a 700-square-foot apartment in the unforgiving environment of East Los Angeles' Cudahy, Barone found himself in danger long before his time in the Marine Corps. Although you'll hardly find Josue complaining about his upbringing. I mean, I don't know that I've ever heard the guy complain. It stands as a fact that without a positive male influence throughout his youth, he seemed destined to fall into the activity that takes so many young lives to an endless cycle of criminal activity, prison stints, and even possible death. However, there was something in Barone that kept him on the fringes. Maybe the love of a mother who was doing her best to provide for Josue and his six siblings. He lived with the ever-present realization that disappointing her was not even an option. So Josue looked to break the seemingly predestined cycle by altering his path and joining the United States Marine Corps. But that didn't mean instant change in any way, shape, or form for Barone. And I think that's why his story is such an inspiring one. It wasn't until he lost almost everything on that fateful day in southern Afghanistan that he began to realize he needed real, substantial change. 
I won't get into the details on that. Rather, I'll let Josue tell you about those dark days and his reformation of identity. So without further ado, we bring you the tale of a 3-5 dark horse warrior. The one and only, Josue Barone. The Veterans Project is a comprehensive essay capturing the legacies of our warfighters, caregivers, and civilians who have stepped forward in defense of our patriotic principles in an effort to capture their stories and to never forget the staggering sacrifices of our nation's finest. This is the Veterans Project Podcast, where our legacies are the mission. Here's your host, Tim Kay. Welcome to the Veterans Project Podcast. My name is Tim Kay, and I'll be your host as always. On the show, got a good friend of mine right here, uh, Josue Barone, 3-5 Dark Horse Marine. It's an honor to have you, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, man. Thank you. Thank you for coming all the way to Temecula, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I came just yeah. for you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, had yeah. to get my In-N-Out burger fixed, too. <laughs> no, man. Yeah, I, I thought... really had to get my Mexican food fixed. <laughs> That's really what I had to get. And you were cooking it up yesterday on the grill, man. Oh, yeah, man. I, I knew you were coming, so it's my specialty. And, I, and every time I got somebody coming, I'm like, let me let me get to work. <laughs> Carne asada, man. Yep. It's amazing. Uh, Josue, as we do with every single project, we want to go back through your past and kind of talk about your life and how you grew up and what that was like for you. Uh, you know, you grew up in Cudahy, right? Yeah, Cudahy. What was that like growing up for you and, and kind of what kind of led your path to the Marine Corps? So growing up in Cudahy, uh, I was born in 1989, so, uh, I was born in West LA and then probably like at two years old, we moved to Cudahy when I was two years old. And I I was growing up, um, me, my mom, and, you know, six of my brothers and sisters in that, in wow. that area. And I think uh, not having a, a, a male role model like my father in, in our lives, um, the streets quickly, you know, t- uh, took me. Yeah. And... and I was always in the streets, you know, looking for a place to fit in, a place to kind of just um, look for somebody to be my voice, you know, be my leader that I need in my life, you know, because my mom, there was so much that she can do for me, but there was nothing that um, that she can teach me about becoming a man, you know what I mean? So I felt like the streets quickly, I gravitate, I gravitated towards the street quickly and and I started hanging around with hanging around with um, some of the guys in the neighborhood, and most of the people there are going through the same thing that I'm going through. So you know, we're building a, a quick bond and just going through the same thing that we're going through. Stuff that we're missing at home, where we can find it within each other in the street, and find older friends that um, that can become our male role models. But in reality, is um, it's not the good male role model that you need in your life, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously we've done your project before and we kind of talked about, you know, you saying you'd been in, uh, you know, firefight before the Marine Corps, you know, your uh, your life was lacking that male role model, you know, obviously with your father being gone, you know, there's statistics out there about, you know, young man's success in life and a lot of a lot of guys don't ever make it, 
you know, without a, without a father figure there. It doesn't even necessarily have to be a paternal father, just somebody there that's a good influence. But, you know, you were kind of raised by the streets and not always positive influences, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, my mom played a, a, an important role in my life, but I felt like there was so many of us that she had to take care of and she still had to, um, you know, provide for everybody that it was just too much for her to focus on on me and kind of like have a plan a future for me. You know what I mean? There, there was none of that. It was more like we're on our own and, you know, my mom is there to feed us, you know, take care of us put a roof over our heads and that's it and then everything else is we got to survive on our own yeah can you talk about what you remember about the streets and and some of your hardest times there um you know anything that you can legally bring (laughs) yeah (laughs) but what do you remember about about some of the tough days you know i i just remember uh you know building a real close connection with a lot of my friends there and i felt like they were my brothers kind of like the military, you know what I mean? They were they were kind of like my brothers. They had my back. And we wanted, you know, to build a name for ourselves in the streets. We wanted to be known and we wanted to evolve in 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 the gang lifestyle, you know, make a name for ourselves. So I remember just being in the streets and we created our own, our own crew, which was Mexicans out of control, you know? Yeah. And we had to create our own crew because we didn't want to get into no big gang in the neighborhood yet. Um, because we knew that once you get into a gang there, there's no way out unless, you know, you leave or, you know, you get, there, there's just so many things that, that you got to do to get out of a gang and it's not easy. I We knew that we didn't want to make that commitment, but we wanted to live the lifestyle. Mm. So we created our own crew and we ended up, you know, creating enemies with other crews um, that were similar to ours. They, were, they didn't want to get into their neighborhoods, to the big gangs. So they created their own little ones. So we were fighting with each other. But then you still have the higher level, which is the gang. Mm. So we started that way. And then eventually we started making a name for ourselves that the bigger gangs in the neighborhood recognized us. And they they wanted us to join their neighborhood. So they, were, they would tell us, no, nah, you guys can't have none of these little neighborhoods, or these little crews. If you guys live here, you guys either got to get into our neighborhood or we're going to fight you little guys, you know? Mm-hmm. And I felt like we didn't have much to lose because we're so young that we're doing the craziest things that you can imagine. You know, we're trying to shoot at people. We're trying to, um, you know, we're tagging the neighborhood. So we're doing things that, that as an adult now, you really, you know, you really have so much, so many things to lose. But as a kid, you don't have a lot to lose at 14, 15, 16. And these older gangs they had older guys there that already had kids already had you know they had a lot of things to lose so we were in a way we were more dangerous Mm. you know what i mean and they recognized that it almost follows that model of terrorism that you see overseas when uh older leader gets taken out of like the taliban or al-qaeda and then a young guy steps in he's always way more dangerous because the decisions he makes are like almost irrational you know yeah like he'll just do whatever because he just wants to create as much panic and chaos as he can. So that kind of sounds like what you're describing. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, that's that's how it was. But, you know, I've always been a, a, a guy who, um, who, respects, who respected my mom so much because I understood that everything that she was doing wasn't easy. And I, and I saw everything that, that she was doing. And 
in my heart, I knew that um, my mom was somebody I wanted to keep happy. You know what I mean? I never wanted to give my mom problems. I never wanted to create another stress for her when she already has all these stress, you know, with raising all, me and my brothers, a single mom, you know, not understanding English very well either. And, you know, she just had a real tough. So deep down inside, I always, I always had that in my mind and I always had, I always believed in that. So I would be in the streets, you know, doing my thing and I would come home by midnight because my mom wanted me home by midnight. You know what I mean? So none of my, a lot of my friends didn't know that, you know, I had a curfew that I had all this, you know, you were a responsible gang member. I was a re- yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was a responsible guy and I never liked drugs. I never, yeah. um, I, I thought about things real, real good before I did something, you know, and I was just that guy who, you know, wanted to be the getaway driver. Like I'm, I'll drive for you guys, you know, you guys go do what you got to do. And because I always knew, um, that, my mom, I didn't want to break her heart, you know what I mean, and and I didn't, I didn't want to be that be that guy. And in between that, yeah, I got caught up, you know. I was I was trying to shoot at people, and um, we would get shot at all the time. But that same lifestyle that I was hiding from my friends, uh, from my mom, it was kind of like I was doing it to them too, you know what I mean, or or to my mom because my mom didn't know that I was getting shot at. Mm. You know, she knew that I was hanging out in the streets, but she didn't know a lot of the things that I was doing. Wow. Because I would come home midnight clean and just like ready to go to bed. And, you know, she she didn't know. Yeah. She didn't know until later. What do you think? You know, how how scary is that as a kid? You know, was it, was it scary living that lifestyle or was it just something because you're so young, you kind of get used to it in a weird way? You know what? You grow up, you grow up in, an, in the environment that is that that's what it's all about you know what i mean so you kind of grow into it it's like it's like we didn't know any difference yeah we didn't know the difference we didn't know that we were you know we thought this was the life we thought this was our life Mm. so getting shot at or things like that almost seems like a natural part of what you're doing yeah yeah i mean for me because i i quickly gravitated to that you know i've had friends that i grew up with that never joined that lifestyle but for me um all my friends that I was with, like the ones that I got really close with, kind of after, obviously when you're in, in elementary, you know, you're not thinking about all those things. But once you hit middle school, then you kind of start selecting your friends. So I have friends that I I went through the whole uh, elementary and then they went their own route. They were good kids. And then I went my own route and I just wanted this lifestyle, you know? Yeah, the path was different. Yeah. Uh. You know, you said before in your project that there was kind of a system or a, a code to these gangs, you know, something within that hierarchy that probably eventually attracted you to the Marine Corps, right? Like, because Marine Corps is a gang in a way, too, you know, it is. And the Army, same thing, infantry units, that tightness, that bond, you know, there's definitely a code there. What, what about that? What do you think attracted you to that? Was it that lack of a of a father figure in your life? The The military? Uh no, or, the gang life before. Yeah, I mean, I I just I think uh, just seeing the respect that the guys were getting in the streets, you know, what I mean, just seeing that I felt like they were doing something with their lives. You know, what I mean, I felt like people were looking at them like, man, I'm scared of this guy. You know, I'm, I'm I don't want to mess with this guy. And then the places I would go to, uh, you kind of needed that protection. You kind of needed that um that 
people to fear you, you know, mm, yeah. type of type of way, you know. Yeah, there's there's a uh, protective part of that too. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, some guys rolling onto your block from another gang, you don't know that guy, then there's gonna be a problem, right? No, no, definitely. And and like I said, every every majority of the guys that I will hang out with, they were raised by single moms. You know, their moms, like my mom, came from Mexico at at you know late in their teen years you know what i mean yeah so we all have something in common you know we're all missing one piece in our lives that could ch- really change our lives mm-hmm. and i think that's what connected us together that you know it made us feel like we weren't i wasn't the only one yeah um without a dad you know right so you know you you talk about some of those experiences and in, in growing up and w- but there was a part of you, right, that like, you know, you, you yearn to do good. You yearn to please your mom. You wanted her to feel excited about your future, right? Yeah. And so that good side, that responsible side that really felt that, that's probably the side of you that really wanted to join the Marine Corps, right? Yeah. I, uh, as soon as, you know, as I got older too, obviously I started, you know, when I was 13, 14, 15. And as I got older, I kind of, I realized I'm like, man, this is not my life. You know what I mean? This is not where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. And at 17, I was kind of having doubts. You know what I mean? I was, mm-hmm. I already had been shot at. I knew that I didn't want to kill nobody. Yeah. You know what I mean? I didn't want to kill nobody because I knew that that person was just like me. And I, I quick, I started realizing like, just because he tagged in my neighborhood, I'm gonna kill this guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or just because he disrespected my friend, I'm gonna, I want to, I'm, I have to go kill this guy. So there's a system of logic in you, yeah, that's you built know? in where it's like, what is this all about, anyway? Yeah. So, yeah. so little by little, I just started realizing all of that, and and I, I felt like there was more, there was more to to my life than just this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I had never left Cade. I never left. I have never been. I had never been to San Diego. I don't think I've you know, left Cudahy even to go to Orange County or, you know, just places that are that are local. You know what I mean? Like, I never went to Disneyland as a kid. I never went to none of these theme parks. I never did none of that. None of the things that were good about California yeah. were even things that you knew. None of the things that I knew. You know, all I knew was Cudahy. That's it. All the way, you know, from when I was a kid, all the way to 17 till I joined the Marine Corps. You know? It is interesting how that perspective of knowing the rest of the world really does often make you a better person because you're not so stuck in that echo chamber, you know? You're you were in an echo chamber of of violence and chaos and guys trying to start their own male figure, you know, find their own male figure, but those male figures a lot of them were destructive. And so you're kind of in this echo chamber of the same thing over and over again. It's a cycle, right? So in order to escape that cycle, you're out was the Marine Corps, right? Yeah, it was like when I met Debbie uh, after I came back, you know, from my first deployment, she would tell me that I was a, a fish in a pond, you know what I mean? Because all I, all I knew was Cudahy and that, the local little areas there, and that's all I wanted to know. I, I wasn't curious. I didn't want anything else mm. because I just wanted to be there. I wanted the people around there to see, you know, what I was doing. I, I wanted to please that circle that I, that I had, you know. Yeah, you can't just mention Debbie and not tell the 
story. <laughs> yeah. I gotta, I gotta. We people gotta hear your voice and talk about how you how you met because it's a pretty funny story. It comes out of Debbie's mouth a little different than yours, yeah. but I want to I want to hear you tell tell that story because she's an important part of your life. Obviously, she's done so much for you and your kids. Oh yeah, yeah. So De- Debbie's my wife, you know, and um, and we met after I came back from my first deployment in in 2010 or 2009 yeah 2009 and you know during that time I'm still I'm stationed in Camp Pendleton and I live in LA so I go home on the weekends whenever I want and I went it was September 5th it was it was September 4th and my birthday was going to be September 5th so I had gone to a party and you know, nothing was working out for me at that party. <laughs> <laughs> weren't weren't exactly hooking any ladies. <laughs> yeah, you know, I wasn't talking to nobody. Nothing was working out. So after that, you know, everybody after the parties, everybody goes to this taco place called Alfredo's or yeah, Alfredo's, and that's in in Bell Gardens. And there's a taco stand there, and everybody goes after the parties. So it's me, a couple of my friends from my neighborhood. And a couple of Marines that I will bring home from Camp Pendleton because they live in Texas and different places that I will bring them on the weekend to my house, so they don't stay in the barracks. And um, and I and we show up to the to the, it's like an outdoor patio, and you pull up to the window and you can order your food and then sit down outdoor. So she's hanging out with a couple, you know, it's just a a table with girls, and you know she's sitting in is is her friend their friends. So me and my friends are hanging out on the other side, and I tell one of my Marine friends, I'm like, "Hey, go tell Dev, go tell that girl." I said, "What's up?" You know, because I was still, I was still shy. I was still kind of um, nervous. So for me, the easiest way was like, hey, you know, telling my friend to go tell her. So he goes over there and he tells her, "Hey, my friend said what's up," you know, and then they're laughing at him and they're like, "Man, what is this? You know, kindergarten? Like, you know, can he stop being a bitch and come himself?" So he comes back and he tells me that, and I'm like, "Fuck! Now I gotta go over there." So I had I went over there. I went to go um, talk to the girls, and and then I started talking to Debbie, and they were they weren't interested, you know. They were well. It seemed like they weren't interested because she kept one of her friends kept saying, "Oh, this is my girlfriend." Like you know, I'm with her, you know. And they're like, "What do you do?" And I'm like, "Oh, I'm I'm in the Marine Corps." And they're like, "No, you're not. You're not a fucking Marine." And I show my military ID, <laughs> and they're like, "Oh shit!" You know, he's he's not lying. But I'm dressed in a white shirt, some baggy five hundred ones, blue five hundred ones, and some Nike Cortez, and I'm bald. You know, so I'm still fitting the street profile, the street gang profile. And they didn't believe me, but when I showed them the ID, they did, and and they were, you know, they just laughed, and you know, that was it. And I walked back to my friends, and a couple minutes later, we're like, "Let's get out of here," you know? Yeah. And then I'm up, I'm about to open the car, the door to my car, and then I see Debbie come up, and she gives me her phone number. Oh, you, know? you want her over. You yeah. thought it was over, man. I thought it was over. <laughs> you know, I thought it was over. I was like, man, whatever. And yeah. and it was like midnight, my birthday already, September 5th, you know? Yeah. And she gave me her number, and from there, I just started, I text her. Yeah. And Truly the greatest like, birthday gift you've ever gotten. Yeah, I think, yeah. 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 For and sure. that was it, you know, and then from there, that was it. We we started talking, dating, mm-hmm. and everything just happened so fast, and, you know, we ended up together. How how old were you at the time? I was 20. 
20? Okay. Yeah, I was 20 and she was 19. So you joined the Marines at 19? At 18. 18. Okay. Yeah. So you'd been in the Marines for a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's go back. You So you joined the Marine Corps and you get to boot camp. What was, what was that experience like for you? All of a sudden, you talk about male figures in your life now all of a sudden you know you got very yeah. alpha male type of guys you know what, what was that experience like for you uh you know what I, I was the best thing about joining the military the way i did was that i had no idea what was going to happen mm. you know what i mean and i ne- i didn't listen to anybody nobody there was nobody that 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 i knew that was in the military besides the people that recruited me but the people that recruited me they took me in right away. So I never really got to understand what the Marine Corps was all about. I just knew that they're going to scream at you and there's discipline, this, this, and that, you know? So just going in there, I felt like I didn't expect anything. So it was the best thing Mm. going in that way. Yeah. Yeah. And once I got in there, I understood what I had to do. And what I had to do was just shut the, shut the fuck up Mm -hmm. and do what you got to do. And that's it. Yeah. You don't talk, you don't say nothing. You just, yes, sir. No, sir. That's it. Mm Mm-hmm. And and I'm gonna survive. I feel like guys that I knew from the streets. We had a couple guys in my unit. One that was actually our platoon guide. Uh, you know, platoon. Uh, you know, they call it platoon guide in the army, but he was the head of our platoon, and he was from the Bronx. And he, you know, he'd grown up in a gang, and he was an incredible leader, man. Like great, like real, like hardcore. You didn't mess with the dude. Like, listen, if something bad happened during the day. The door, the platoon doors were closing at night. Yeah. You know, somebody's getting beat down, you know? Yeah. Um, and you just close your eyes and put the covers over your head and hope it wasn't you. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I was 17 when I joined. Uh, so, so I was a scared little kid. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, when, you know, when you see that, I saw that motto. I saw, like, uh, we had a few guys from South Chicago in my, in my platoon and they were all some of the best soldiers, man. Yeah. Do you think something about that street lifestyle and that hard lifestyle really kind of combs you and, you know, gets you ready for the for that type of life in the military? Yeah, you know, it definitely it definitely gets you ready, but with me there was another another issue. I w- I was struggling with English. So mm. for me, my mom spoke Spanish. That's all she, you know, she didn't she didn't speak English. So me growing up, I spoke nothing but Spanish. So by the time I got to the Marine Corps, I had trouble. Hmm. So for me it was more like just stay quiet. Don't say anything. So I felt like I I didn't get that that um I was more intimidated, right? To open my mouth. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I felt like I just wanted to be that guy in the background. Yeah, just, yeah. You know, just I just want to get by with this and do what I got to do. Yeah. But then along the way, I I'm the fastest runner. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I could do more pull ups. You know, so all these things are just. I'm getting noticed, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> without me even like trying or like just without me even um I ne- I, I never ran cross country none of that. I just ran from the from the cops, you know what I mean? <laughs> from, from other people. Yeah. So I had that quality, you know what I mean? And then I worked hard and I got noticed, you know what I mean? They're like, "Oh man, this guy works hard. He does he does everything fast, you know what I mean?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um So you were tr- you weren't trying to get noticed, but you did get noticed. Yeah, you know what I mean? So I I had some good qualities um but then then when then I got close to other guys and I felt like okay let me let me select my guys and this is gonna be my crew here, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I started selecting Velasquez. Th- these guys that come from Chicago, Texas, different places, but they're intimidated too. Mm. So 
I started selecting these guys and we start kind of just working together. And then what I mean working together is like, man, I want to steal things now. You know what I mean? Because, mm-hmm. you know, in LA, I felt like I, I was, I was stealing stuff because I never had them. You know what I mean? Right. So that was my thing. I'm like, I like stealing. I like doing this, you know, I'm just, I'm just, I want to be corrupt. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm over here like trying to steal razors from guys. You know what I mean? Because I shave my head. So I'm like, I'm trying to steal razors. Um, I'm trying to steal money. I'm trying yeah. to steal whatever I can. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that was my mindset. I didn't know. I didn't know any better. I I just believed that that's what I was supposed to do. So I, I had guys, you know, watching security while I'm over here going through little piggy bags, you know, and just trying to take money from people, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting how that lifestyle doesn't leave you. That, nah. and that that's one thing you you talk, you know, that I've talked about to many many times is like. You you meet guys in the army, or you know, for me in the army, who were great soldiers, but before their life, you know, they had been very corrupt. They'd had very hard lives, and then they get out and they kind of go back to that same lifestyle. And you're yeah, like, yeah. "What happened to so and so?" You know, but nothing happened. The reality is, this, that's who they were the whole time. Yeah, yeah. They just were good at being a soldier. Then they get yeah. out, they start going back and doing the same old thing. So that was you, kind of. That that was what was happening with you. The Marine Corps hadn't changed you necessarily. No, no. Well, it hadn't changed me yet because it was still boot camp. It was still like basic school. Right. I was still kind of like, I was still, I was still understanding what it was to be a Marine. You know what I mean? I, I, I didn't know anything about the military. Nobody in my family had ever served. Nobody that I. I didn't look up to anybody that was in the military, you know what I mean? So to me, it, it didn't feel like, in the beginning, it didn't feel like, man, I'm serving my country, you know, there's a purpose to this, 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 and that. I just felt like I just got out of cut of here, you know what I mean? This is my next step, and, you know, let me see what, what what's going to happen here, you know what I mean? And And I always tell people, there's certain people that have to go through something life-changing in their lives to really change them. Yeah, and I felt like I was that guy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I felt like there was something in me that w- was gonna change, but I had to go through something real difficult in my life for it to make me change. Yeah, and I and I truly believe that now. And so you you make it through boot camp. Yeah, you go to SOI, right? Yeah, I go to SOI. And then when you get out of SOI, you go to one of the most well-known Marine Corps units in history, three five, yeah. right? Yeah. What was it like when you got to three five? So the best part about this is that I had never gotten in an airplane before, and I never did because I went from L.A. to um, San Diego boot camp. From San Diego boot camp, I came back to Pendleton, which is still there, and then from there I went. I was in SOI there, School of Infantry. And then from there, I got a bus up the hill to 3rd Battalion, 5th Marines in San Mateo. So I never left, you know, anywhere. That's hilarious. <laughs> but um, You got to stay home. Yeah, and, and yet again, I've never gotten in an airplane. I've never traveled. I've never been anywhere, you know, and everything is local. So then I get to um, I get to 3-5, and my seniors, the, the, the unit is in Iraq at that time. So when I get there, it's quiet, it's peaceful, you know what I mean? You're, I'm like, man, this is this is um, the infantry. You know, this is going to be, this is, it's not that bad, you know? And I think like a month later, the unit gets there. 
they start coming back and it was chaos from there. It was over. It was like, what the fuck did I get myself into? You know what I mean? Because <laughs> yeah. now it was like, they're going to fuck us up. Yeah. They were ready to fuck us up. They were hungry. They looked at us like, you guys are our, our little animals. Yeah. You, know, you guys are going to do whatever the fuck we tell you to do. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when I started having doubts. I was like, what the fuck did I get myself into? Like, why the fuck? Like, why am I even here? You know what I mean? Yeah. And it was crazy because on the weekends I go home. And and from San, the San Mateo um, gate, the Christianitos gate, it's on on the side of Orange County. So from there, I could easily get the freeway, the five, and go home. And it's like forty minutes to get home. Oh wow! Quick, you know what I mean? So I will go home. I will go home on the weekends, and I'm I, I'm hanging out with my crew. We're we're gang banging, you know. We're, we're trying to shoot at people. I have my own gun already. And then Sunday comes. I got to go back to the barracks and be somebody's slave. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, and and those two lifestyles were kind of fucking with me because I was like, man, you know, we just got shot out in L.A. and and we're we're, we're doing some crazy shit out here. And then I get home and I got to be somebody's slave. I got to clean my bathroom. I got to do this, this, and that. So I kind of grew a little anger. There was a little anger in me, and I was like, man, I want to kill one of these Marines. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's easy. Yeah. Like I already have my gun. You know. Why am I letting these guys fuck with me? Yeah. You know what I mean? But there was something in me that I was like, no, if I do this shit, I'm fuck, I'm done forever. You know, I'm going to go to jail. Like, it's over. Yeah, yeah. You, know? you get in trouble in the Marine Corps, you're definitely yeah. done. And and, and, yeah. and that was with the that was the thing with the Marine Corps. It's like, you know, at, growing up, I'm like, I don't want to disappoint my mom, you know? Right. But now I'm in the Marine Corps. I don't want to disappoint my my team leader, my squad leader, or my platoon sergeant. You know what I mean? There's, there were just so many people that... We're gonna be on my ass if I made a mistake. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I didn't want to disappoint none of them, and and there was so many times that it would run through my mind that I was like, man, I'm getting, you know, I'm getting hazed, but I could just go to my car. Like I would, I would have my, I used to drive a Grand Marquis, mm-hmm. a '96 Grand Marquis, and um, I used to have a gun in my car. I had a stash and everything, you know, where I can hide it. If the cops searched me, there was multiple times where. They never found my guns because I had them stashed in good places. Mm. So I could have gone down, you know, got my gun and and walked through the barracks and be like, fuck with me, you know, fuck with me today and and find out and find out, you know. But those were just it was in my mind, you know, it was like it it wanted to become reality. Yeah. But I knew that that wasn't the way to go, you know. Yeah. I think we I think we can all relate in some ways, though. Like, you know, I didn't grow up in that lifestyle. But man, I've had some bad squad leaders where I wanted to do some bad things, oh, yeah. bro. Like, you know, I felt like I was in jail, dude, sometimes. I mean, I won't name any names, but I had yeah. one squad leader when I was going to Iraq. Yeah. Or legit, if somebody, you know, put a pillow over that dude's face, I wasn't saying anything, you know? <laughs> like, like yeah. it was just so bad, dude. And I, I don't mean that to be like, you know, too harsh, but I'm just saying, like, if you're in that environment in an infantry unit, you understand, man, you can't. You feel like you can't get out of the situation. You feel claustrophobic. Like, yeah, yeah. this is going to keep happening again and again and again. I just have to put up with it? No, definitely. Because because even my friends in my neighborhood, when I, I would go back home, they, they saw a difference in me. You know, they saw that I was I was a little, de- not too depressed, but they saw like, man, you're usually happy. You know what I mean? You're usually yeah. smiling all the time. But me, I was worried to go back to the barracks. I was like, fuck, man. You know, Friday, I left the barracks to go home on the weekend. But I know as soon as Sunday night comes in, I gotta go back to the barracks and I'm gonna get fucked up again. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So it kind of, it kind of, it, 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 
it started to create like a little fear in me, you know what I mean? Where I was like, do I really want to go back? You know what I mean? Do I really want to go back to this shit or should I just stay here and fuck this place, you know? Yeah. And, you know, some way, somehow I, I'll go back, in the, you know, a Sunday and wake up, you know, there in the barracks, you know? Yeah. And I just, I just had to go through it like everybody else. But along the way, I I did have a lot of my friends that went UA. I had a couple of friends that went UA because a lot of the Iraq vet, uh, vets that came back or guys that came back, they were really taking advantage of the young Marines. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. And they ended up calling the battalion formation and they ended up charging a lot of these guys oh, wow. because it was that bad. You know what I mean? Wow. I had a friend who, um, who they, they didn't like him. He was from, um, he was from Nicaragua. And he his English was real broken, mm-hmm. and um, one of the seniors uh kicked him in the stomach a couple of times at night and hazed him, and then the next morning our our lieutenant came to take us on a run, and we had to you know pick up rocks along the way and throw them, and he couldn't even pick up a, a little rock because his abs were hurting him, mm. and he wasn't gonna tell the lieutenant because he didn't want to be a snitch, you know what I mean? Yeah. But we all knew, like, man, he's hurt, and he just disappeared. He never came back. He went away. Wow. So it was it was shit like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's definitely the dark side of yeah. being in an infantry unit, too. I've seen stuff like that before. And and a lot of the guys got charged. They got caught. Yeah. And it was like, it was, it was, you know, when I became a senior, I kind of, I understood. I was like, man, like, if you do something like that, this is, there's no fucking place for you here. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no, like, I understand there's traditions. I understand there's, um, there's shit that you got to go through. Right. But to hurt somebody, you know, where you're, you're like making him incapable of being a rifleman and, you know, having your back. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, why would, why, why would you want to do that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, why? Or you, you're taking out your own guys. Yeah. You're exactly. taking your own guys out of the fight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there was a lot of shit like that, that I didn't understand, but I never had it that bad because along the way my seniors kind of understood who I was. You know what I mean? They kind of understood how I was too. They're like, man, like they knew that there was something in me that they're like, man, I don't want to fuck with this. You know what I mean? (laughs) And at the same time, I never, I never gave them a reason to fuck with me. You know what I mean? Like Mm. I was like, go get me chow. I'm like, yes, sir. I'll get you chow. You want extra fries? I'll get you extra fries. You know, like (laughs) I was just, I had, I did whatever I had to do, you know, to survive. Yeah. 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 And I did my work and, you know, I was on time to everything. I, I, I just, did everything the way I had to do it, and there was nobody fucking with me, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, it was kind of the same way for me in my infantry unit, the same way I was just raised, you know, by my parents to, like, you know, always respect authority and always yeah. go. But I was, like, you know, I played college sports, man. I was a good athlete. Like, I was a pretty big guy. So, like, nobody was jacking with me, man. Like, you yeah. know, they they might smoke me. They might haze me a little bit, but they're not, they're not putting their hands on me, you know? Because yeah. you put your hands on me, you're gonna find out, you know. <laughs> like, I'm, yeah. that's when that's when all that that was when all that stuff goes out the window. It's not cool anymore, you know. Yeah. But there are guys that definitely like attract some weird attention, you know. It's oh, like yeah, it's yeah. the same thing with bullying, you know. It's they, they just attract that attention. You can see them, and you feel terrible, you know, because it's like, what do you what do you do, you know? Yeah, and, and I knew too. Like, I'm like, man, I'm here. I'm out of my element. You know what I mean? I'm like. In the streets, like I said, you know, I build a bond. I have friends who, like, 
if somebody fucks with me, like this guy's already taking care of it. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Like if somebody, I'm always looking at my friend and making sure nobody's fucking with him. And as soon as something happens, I'm 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 jumping in it. But in, when I got to to the to the unit, I I didn't have those those friends. You know what I mean? Where I was like, man, whatever happens, we all got each other's back. Yeah. It wasn't until later that we started building that bond. But as soon as we got to the unit, it was kind of like everybody's on their own. You don't know who to trust. And then along the way, we'll see who's going to be with you and who's not. You know? Mm, yeah. Trust takes time to build, man. Yeah, yeah. For you sure. You got to go through some shit together to like build that trust. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's like a relationship, a good yeah. relationship, you know? Same thing. Um, so then what happens where, at what point did you guys find out that you were getting deployed to Afghanistan? So when we came back from our first deployment, which was the 31st, so we find uh, after our first deployment, which was the 31st meal, we come back home and we're getting ready for, they're like, we guys are, you guys are going on a second meal. And I was already disappointed because I didn't, I didn't even want to go on that first 31st meal because my seniors had just gotten back from my wreck. And I was already disappointed that my first deployment was in Iraq, you know? And I don't think we've thought about Afghanistan yet back in 2009 or, or eight. So then they're like, you guys are going on a second meal. And we're like, man, we're, we're doing our, our training. And then a couple months, like two, three months later, they're like, there was a change. They want you guys in Afghanistan now. Oh, wow. And I'm excited. You know, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, hell yeah. You know, I'm like, I was, I was think I was like, thank you, God. You know, yeah. I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. I'm ready because that's what I wanted to do. You know? Even even before I joined the military, I didn't even know there was fuck there was muse. I thought I, you know even be, like way back even before that I didn't even know there was jobs in the in the in, in the Marine Corps. I thought everything was infantry. So a lot of the things that I I thought the Marine Corps was came to me without me even asking for it. You know what I mean? Because even when I joined, I didn't even know. Um, they threw me open contract because I didn't even know. You know. And I could have been anything in the Marine Corps. Yeah. And they gave me infantry, you know, and here I am about to go to Afghanistan and I'm excited. Wow. So what was the what was the thought about Afghanistan that excited you? Was it just, you know, was it just that same thing, you know, growing up as a kid? You know, you wanted the action, right? Yeah. Is that the same thing for you? You know, I, I, I wanted the action. I, I wanted to be part of this. You know what I mean? I wanted to earned my respect yeah because i felt like just being a young marine i was like man i haven't done shit you know what i mean i haven't done anything yeah. like my seniors are never going to respect me because I've, i haven't done anything yeah and i wanted that and you know it was coming yeah so you head to afghanistan obviously you'd met debbie by then right yeah i had i had met debbie by then what, how did how did she feel about you going over there? You know, I think she knew more about the military than I did because <laughs> her 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 stepbrother he was a marine. He already had okay. been in for like ten years. Yeah. So she she had seen you know what he had been through, and she knew about his Marine Corps you know career. So she knew um that just going to war was gonna be bad. Yeah. For me. I didn't think about none of that. I didn't care. Yeah. I was just like, yes, send me on the first plane. I want to go, you know, and like, I'm ready. 
I wasn't afraid to die. You know, I mean, I, I wasn't afraid. I never thought that I was going to die anyways, you know? Yeah. I never thought about that. I was like, oh, I'm going to come back, come back home. I'm cool, you know? I'll be all right. Yeah, yeah. So, and then I think Deb, she was a little bit more worried, but she knew it was something that I was excited for. Yeah. So, then you get to Afghanistan, and what was 3-5 tasked with? What were y'all, what was y'all's job over there? Just provide security, you know, provide security, and then um show a presence in the area and i think what is it october 21st 2010 um i get hit you know and mm-hmm. and and it's something that i never imagined was gonna happen yeah like i think going into into afghanistan you either have an image that you're gonna get shot or you're gonna die yeah but never that you're gonna lose a limb Right. When I get hit October twenty first, um and and step on a landmine, I was more kinda I was upset. I was upset because I was like, damn, why me? You know what I mean? Like fuck, yeah. I don't wanna leave this place, you know, I I, I, I didn't wanna leave. And I think in my mind I it was more like I'm leaving my friends behind. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's that was probably the hardest part for me. Like I'm leaving my friends behind and I'm out of the fight. Mm, yeah. You know? That's tough. So, what what do you remember up until the moment, or how much do you remember up until when it happened? I remember, you know, even be right before we even stepped stepped out to, on the patrol. Like, yeah, I remember. Um, I was laying in my rack in my bed, and my lieutenant, uh, Lieutenant Kelly, tells my squad leader, "Hey, I need." You and one of your fire teams, not the whole squad, just one of your fire teams to go out and take pictures of this um, enemy that they, that the snipers had shot in the night. Mm. And they wanted just to go make sure, you know, we get pictures and we have a, a confirmation and, you know, we have a report that we can send back and just showing that we just didn't kill somebody for no reason, you know? Right. So we need a, we need a report. And my friend Weimer, which is uh, I'm I'm second team leader. He's the first team leader. My my squad leader tells him, "Hey, get your team ready. We're gonna go out." And they had just gotten off post, or they were doing something. And I I already had gotten like two hours of rest. Mm. So I told my squad leader, Sergeant O, I was like, hey, "I'll get my team and I'll go." Okay, you know. So five minutes, we have five minutes to get ready and boom, you know, we put on our gear and we come out, we leave the wire and my engineer, his name is, uh, last name is Menza. He's only 19 years old. Mm. You know, he's, he's, he's a minesweeper. Yeah. So we're, we're depending on him to get us there safe, you know? So, you know, he's taking his time, is beeping, you know, the, the metal detector is beeping and. You know, he's stopping and I could see my squad leader getting a little frustrated, you know, because he's like, hurry the fuck up, you know, we yeah. gotta get there. And this guy's only 19 years old, you know, the, the engineer, my squad leader already, a, a, you know, he's already, there's already his fourth deployment, you know what wow. I mean? Wow, yeah. And, and, you know, we get to the location, we do what we gotta do, we take pictures and... We're like, fuck it, let's take the same route back. Mm-hmm. And on the way back, 
same thing. He, he, his metal, he's the engineer stopping, you know, trying to get his little reads, trying to take it serious because he's new, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's all he knows. And then my squad leader's like, like, get out, you know, he kind of tells him, get out of the way. Like, he takes point without sweeping. And me and my engineer behind him, um, we take a couple steps and we fucking blow up. Oh, wow. Me and my engineer blow up and my squad leader gets a concussion. And that's already his third third concussion. Jeez. Because before that, you know, two weeks before that, um, another guy had gotten blown up. Yeah. And he was right next to him. So that was already his third concussion. And it goes off. Um, automatically, shrapnel goes into my face, my eyes, and I'm blind. Mm. And I can feel pain on my left leg, but I can't see anymore. So I, I can't see myself, you know, if I'm missing my leg or not, but I just feel pain. Yeah. And, you know, one of the corpsmen that was there, he starts putting the tourniquet. And then Sergeant O comes, Sergeant O gets up and he starts putting a tourniquet on me and just starts taking over. And then the, the corpsman starts, uh, helping Mensa who lost both of his legs. Yeah. And, uh, I'm, I'm asking Sergeant O, hey, Sergeant O, can you loosen up my tourniquet a little bit? Cause it's fucking tight, you know? Yeah. And, um, I'm yelling. I'm like, fuck these motherfuckers got me. You know, I, I'm yelling. I'm like, fuck these motherfuckers, you know? Yeah. And then Mensa's over there yelling, um, and I just get real thirsty, and I'm like, hey, can I get some water? You know, I'm fucking thirsty. And they're like, we can't give you too much water, but we'll give you a little bit of water, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm just feeling the pain of the tourniquet, and I'm just asking them, can you lose in one click just a little bit, you know? Yeah. And and then from there, they put me in the in the helicopter a couple minutes, like I think 15 minutes later, uh, a medevac gets there and picks me up, and they put me in the on the bird. And I knock out, and that's it. Mm. You know, but were you, uh, were you were you scared at all in I that was, moment? No, nah, I don't think I was scared. I was just I I wasn't scared. I was just uh, in pain, and I was upset that, yeah. that 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 the enemy got me. You know, yeah, I was upset that they got me. I was like, fuck, like me, really, like me out of all know? people, like why me? You know, yeah. So I was just upset that that I was out of the fight, and I had a, I had a um. I had a camera on my on my Kevlar, and I was worried about my camera too. I was like, "Fuck, find that camera!" You know, I was <laughs> I was telling my my squad leader, "Hey, can you guys find my camera?" Yeah, because I had videos there that you know, in my mind, I was like, "Fuck, if the Taliban get get a hold of these videos, they're gonna like use them for propaganda or some shit." You know, I was just yeah. like, there was some shit running through my mind, and and I was like, "Get my camera." Yeah, is and, there is there something? psychological about that when the enemy takes you out that way and it's not where they're you know facing you face to face and it's a gun battle where it's you know one-on-one is there something heavier about the effect of that and the and the worry about stepping on a mine or ieds or things like that did that weigh heavy on you getting hit that way i think by 2010 that was popularity you know what i mean it was kind of like every like everybody feared to step on an ID. Right. Everybody's like, "Fuck, I don't want to lose my legs." You know, I don't want to lose my my arms. Yeah. So I think by that time, we had so many casualties already, and even before that, I mean, and even after me, there was going to be so many other amputees coming. Right. That 
ID was the way that you were going to go out. Yeah. It was it, it was rare if you got shot and killed, you know? Right. And we had a few guys that got shot and killed, but majority of the guys were going to be amputees. So that was already coming. Yeah. And to me it was it was it was scary, you know, just coming back home um without a body part. You know what I mean? It's like fuck like never in my life did that ever run through my mind, you know what I mean? Like yeah, leading up to Afghanistan. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that was just a, a big fear for me, kind of just realizing that I'm going to come back home, you know, without a limb and how are people going to see me? Yeah. You know what I mean? But but it never crossed my mind, like, you know, thinking about the enemy or anything like that. It was just more like, fuck, like, what's next? You know, like, I lost a leg. Yeah. My, or am I going to get my vision back? I'm blind, you know? Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that would be the scariest part to me, like, you know, losing an eye or like feeling like I was going to stay blind. Like that that's that's got to be a very claustrophobic feeling. Did yeah. you was that was that rough? Like, you know, obviously it's rough, but was that kind of scary like thinking you might not see again? Yeah, when I, I um I woke up in Bethesda back in the states, you know, and I had no idea. I had no idea I had I had gone through Germany and I had stopped in in couple places before i got to bethesda and i wake up in, in bethesda a couple of days later and and i can't see and i'm and everything is just black Ooh. and then i can hear the doctor um telling my wife because debbie was already there they already had flown her while i was traveling you know yeah they already have flown her there and she was already gonna be by my side by the time i got to the states so she was already there, and I can hear, like, do you tell him or I tell him, you know, that he lost his leg? And the doctor told me, hey, um, you lost your left leg, and I'm blind. So I reached down with my hand, and I'm like, fuck, there's nothing there anymore, you know? Yeah. And my next question was, like, when am I going to see, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, what about my vision? Yeah. And the doctors were like, oh, we don't know. Only time will tell. Uh what had happened to your eyes? So the shrapnel came from the bottom when I stepped on the landmine and it hit my face. And I got shrapnel on both my eyes. Wow. So both my eyes got fucked up, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, when I got to the hospital, they were both popping out. Wow. They were both popping out like huge fucking eyeballs and I couldn't close my eyelids. Ooh. And the nurses had to lube them up every couple hours because they were they were open. Wow. They wouldn't close. The swelling. They were real big. Yeah. And then throughout time, um, they started shrinking and they started coming back to normal. And my left eye just kept shrinking and shrinking. And it, it was kind of like they popped the ball and lost all the air and it was just flat. Wow. And then my right eye uh, came back, but I ended up with a scar on my cornea on my right eye. So little by little, I started seeing light. And when the doctor heard that I was getting light on my right eye, he's like, man, that, that's a real good thing, you know? Yeah. So they knew that I wasn't going to be completely blind, but they didn't know how well I was going to recover. And then just with time, I, the, that little hole got bigger and bigger and it was blurrier, but I was able to see a little better, you know? Yeah. Can you, can you describe being in the, being in the hospital and, and that feeling of frustration and, 
and um, depression and what what that was like for you did you feel depressed I, yeah, I i was a little depressed i was a little depressed because like i said i wanted to be back in in afghanistan with the guys that was most of the, like what was running through my mind that i wasn't back there and i was just pissed i was like fuck like you know so i i remember waking up and and on my alone time during the first days i was pissed and i was i was uh as like talking to god in my head you know and i was like like why the fuck didn't you kill me mm-hmm. like why are you gonna let me suffer like this you know what i mean like why didn't you kill me right when the fucking ied went off because i'm not gonna kill myself you know what i mean yeah yeah i'm not gonna kill myself but if you would have done me that favor there yeah it would have been good you know what i mean like i would have been okay, like i would have been gone and i would have been i wouldn't been suffering through what i'm gonna suffer that i thought was gonna be a a horrible life you know what i mean yeah so i was pissed i was pissed at god i was like man i wish i was dead you know yeah and just questioning like everything you know like everybody who goes through something you question god and it's like why why me like what what did i do you know what i mean to deserve this you know right and i think what really helped me out was just having debbie by my side 24 7 mm. you know yeah. Just having her there uh, made things easier, and yeah. and knowing that that there was you know my, my mom had gotten there too, my brother had gotten there, so just having them on my side uh, really helped me out. Um, you know when you're when you're in the hospital there, obviously there's something incredible psychological that goes on, you know, with knowing that you'll never be in the fight again. Uh, as a Marine, that's got to be one of the most disabling feelings you can experience. But you've obviously got a pretty good support system. Yeah. An incredible wife that advocates you pretty fiercely. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and so you've got a chance and a potential at a life, um, at, a, at a good life. Did How hard was it when you started hearing about other Marines getting hit? That was tough, too, because when I was there at the hospital, um, my lieutenant got killed, and and you know, yet I'm about to go through a surgery. I'm laying down in one of the rooms, and and then my doctor comes in again, and he's like, you know, they're kind of giving me a report of what's going on with my unit because they're hearing about three five. Everybody's hearing about three five. Mm-hmm. Everybody is is real big because we're getting hit so hard that everybody back in the United States um is it's out there, you know, everybody, everybody's on it and looking at it, you know, it opened a lot. I, of I remember hearing about 35. It, it opened a lot of people's eyes, you know, and, um, and I'm laying in my bed and my doctor's like, you know, you know, I'm sorry, but your lieutenant just, you know, got killed this morning. And I was like, man, like it, it, it hit me hard. I was like, you know, the leader of the platoon got killed you know what i mean yeah so i knew that it wasn't that it was it was real real bad yeah you know what i mean i knew that it was real bad and i was like man i'm you know i'm only a lance corporal you know what i mean but my lieutenant got killed you know what i mean it's like fuck like it was it was uh, unbelievable to me yeah three five is getting hit so hard and in the middle of your own pain you're seeing these other guys who will never have that chance of life again yeah, so so throughout my you know throughout the time that I'm going through my recovery because I got I got hit early in my deployment. Yeah. So the guys 
they they were still going to be there for a couple more months. And along the way, I'm hearing, oh, you know, your friend uh, uh, Peterson and um, Rome, you know, just got killed. And I'm like, wow, really? And then your friend uh, Maldonado just got killed. So every every month for like two, three months, people were getting killed every week. You know what I mean? Wow. And it was just like, whoa, whoa, again, 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 you know? And it's like, it just, it just pissing me off too because I'm like, fuck, I want to be out there, you know? Yeah. I want to be out there and I, I want to help, you know what I mean? Yeah, but you couldn't. But I couldn't. Yeah. And I'm over here dealing with a new life, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm over here dealing with with something new. That's a weird place to be in the middle of that yeah. transition, right? You still feel like you're in, in a way. You've, you haven't left that lifestyle completely. But then you know that you've got a new life coming. And part of you probably can't leave that other life behind, right? Yeah, no, I mean, I... I, I I couldn't leave it behind, and 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 I wanted to. Even with my injury, I was like, man, maybe I could stay in. You know what I mean, maybe I could, because I think during that time, General Conway was the commandant, commandant of the Marine Corps, and he was allowing allowing Marines to, uh, to stay in if they got injured in combat. So I had a couple of friends that stayed in, but for me, it was like. I can't even wear a boot with my prosthetic because I can't even walk right. It's a struggle, you know what I mean? I can't wear pants. It's a struggle, you know? So for me to wear that uniform, I'm going to live in pain every day. Yeah. So it was like, nah, I, I can't. Yeah. I, I think it's probably different with below the knee too, right? Like yeah, yeah. You get a much better chance or potential to still do the job. I mean, I think if I was below the knee, I would have stayed in. I would have kept doing what, what you could even stay in the infantry. Yeah, because that's how good a lot of these below the knee guys recover. Yeah, I mean they're able to run, they're able to, you know, maybe some even faster than they were before. Yeah. You know what I mean yeah. with that with that leg with that blade. Yeah. So I think if if I didn't have um, if I didn't you know lose my left eye and my right eye was okay and and if my vision was okay and I was just the below the knee, I, I would probably, you know, just because I, of that pride that I had. It was more of a pride, like I wanted to stay in, you know. It was more like, nah, like I, I, I could keep doing this, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you, uh, when you started transitioning out of the Marine Corps and, and getting out, what was the what was the hardest thing about that? Do you think? I mean, just being a patient. You know what I mean? It was it, it was tough being a patient because you're you're at at um, Balboa Medical Center in San Diego doing your recovery, but and they have a wounded warrior battalion there. So you're still active duty while you're recovering. And you still have to check in. You still have a section leader. You you have to go to formation. And it's kind of like, man, you know, you're trying to recover, but yet you're still a, a, a active duty Marine. Yeah. So you still got to follow all these rules. It's like if you're in pain, they're like, Come in your fucking wheelchair to on formation. You, you could you could stand formation, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so that was kind of like something that was bothering me. I was like, I, I was like, man, I don't want to deal with this shit anymore. You know, I was like, fuck this. Like, yeah, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna go check in with somebody in the morning and you know go check in in the afternoon and check in the in the in the evening when when I'm I'm 
I can't drive. I'm blind. You know what I mean? Yeah. Debbie's driving me everywhere. So she's the one that's dealing with all the stress because she's taking me to my formations. She's taking me to my appointments. The section leader wants to see me here. You know, so it was just, it was just a cluster, you know, in the, in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, man, I don't, I, I don't want to do this shit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So when you get out of the, when you get out of the Marine Corps finally and, you know, you're back in, in, you know, you're, you're learning to, to walk again. What, what's that rehab like? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a real high amputee. So for me, it, it was a struggle because just fitting a prosthetic for somebody so high like me is real hard. And walking was difficult. So it took me a while just to get used to where I'm at right now. And I remember while I was still recovering at Baboa, I would go home to LA. And I wanted to still hang out with my friends from my neighborhood. Yeah. And by this time, a lot of my friends that I grew up with, they ended up getting into the gang. Mm. So now they're part of the gang now. Right. When for me, the Marine Corps took, you know, guided me in a different direction and saved, you know, saved me from joining the gang because eventually you can't be in that small crew forever. Right. You have to join the gang. Yeah. So all my friends got into the gang Mm. and I go back and I still want to hang out with these guys. Because I'm like, man, these guys have done, you know, they're my brothers. You know what I mean? I feel like they're my brothers. You know, yeah. we've been through so much together. And we go back. I go back to one of my friends' house. He's having he's having a little party for the for a boxing fight. And we're hanging out in, in the house, in his house. And we're hanging out in the front porch because the family is inside the living room. And we're watching the fight from the porch, the big window. And behind us, a car pulls up. And you know, I'm 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 with my cane, I'm barely learning how to walk, I'm standing there, you know, just watching the fight. Yeah. And this car pulls up behind us and he just gets off and it and I remember the car, I knew who he was because he had gone to high school with us. Mm. But we didn't get along with him. Yeah. So he gets off and he he shoots at us and everybody runs and I can't run anymore. Mm, wow. You know what I mean? So I just drop to the floor and he shoots probably like eight times. And that was the turning point for me. That was kind of like the day that I was like, if I die right here and survive Afghanistan and people are calling me a hero, it, I'm going to be an embarrassment to my family. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be an embarrassment to everything that I'm starting to believe in, in the military that I'm like, man, you know, I fought for my country, you know? And it took me a while to believe that too. It took me a while to get to that point where I was like, I'm proud of my service, you know, I'm proud yeah. of what I've done. And then for me to get killed in LA after I survived an IED, it clicked in my head and I was like, I can't, I can't do this shit no more, you know what I mean? And that was it. I, you know, it kind of changed my life and I was like, I can't, I can't do this no more. I can't hang out with my friends. And not because I don't like them, not because, you know, I'm ashamed of what they're doing, but it's just not my life anymore you know what i mean it's not i have something else to look forward to yeah yeah you were going down a different path yeah i was going down a different path and i was becoming you know this i i didn't want to see it like that you know an inspiration to people you know what i mean yeah like giving other amputees hope or giving people hope that is like man if somebody could go through some tough like that and, and keep pushing then 
I can motivate somebody along the way, you know? And and I felt like that was that was gonna be my path, you know, and and there was something good coming out of my injury and I believed it. I was like, man, I know this is gonna be something good that comes out of this. But if I if I stay here in LA and I hang out with my friends and, and I continue this lifestyle, it's it's not gonna end well. That's interesting you say that because I remember I think it was right after I got back from Iraq, I read an article. Uh, actually, it was right when I got out of basic training. I read an article about a young guy from Chicago. Uh, young black kid had grown up in gangs his whole life. He gets out of a gang, joins the army, becomes a small arms weapon specialist. Well, he, he joins the this and goes to this particular MOS so he can actually learn that stuff and bring that back to the gang, dude. Like, so, so this is a real problem in the army. They've got guys who are joining the army so that they can learn. Yeah combatives and then join and then come back to their gang so this guy he saves like a couple of his buddies from a building in iraq where a firefight goes real wrong they go like black on ammo it's real bad and i think it was like in Sadr city real bad part of iraq anyways he saves a couple of his buddies he gets a silver star with valor like he like gets out of the army six months later they find him dead in an alley in chicago and so Crazy. I'm thinking about like that could have been you. Oh yeah, yeah. Like you, he went back to that lifestyle, and now everybody is like, he had the silver star, but why would he do that? You know? Yeah. And that's his legacy, and like that's sad, you know? Like, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it, it sometimes it's tough to let go of what you know, what you love and what you think that you know that you believe in, but. You know, like I said, just growing up, I've always been that kind of guy. You know what I mean? I've always been that kind of guy that understood that there was something better out there. And, you know, here I am again, you know, making a choice whether I could stay here and continue this lifestyle as an amputee and hang out with my friends and, you know, go to parties and this, this, and that. And, and we already had enemies in L.A. You know what I mean? There was people that knew me that didn't like me. Yeah, you know, I already have been shot shot at a couple of times, and I don't think they would have give a fuck if I was an amputee or not. You know, yeah. If they catch me in the street, they ca- they're gonna catch me in the street. You know, yeah. Regardless, so I think that you know the best thing that happened to me too was just that I was in San Diego. It was now it's like a two hour drive from San Diego to LA versus Camp Pendleton to LA, which is like forty minutes. You know, so it's a little further now. Yeah. So it's keeping me away a little bit, you know. It's making me think twice to drive to LA. Mm. And um and then you know, I wanted to go back to LA and live in LA. But at the same time I was like, man, I'm an amputee and I don't really know if I if I want people to see me this way. You yeah. Know what I mean, I kind of just want to start fresh. How did 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 Debbie try to convince you a little bit out of that, you know, and and talk to you about that, or did she kind of just let you carve your own path mentally and figure all that out yourself? I mean, I think she, you know, she kind of let me, you know, take my own path. Uh, she, she was supporting me with whatever I had to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. But at the same time, I. I didn't understand what she was going through too. You know what I mean? Because yeah. we had just met 
right like a year like a year before I left to Afghanistan. So then I get injured, you know what I mean? So I've only known her for a year and I get injured. Wow. So it's like you know, she's only she probably just I think she had just turned 20 when I got injured too mm-hmm. and and it's like man like she has an option too to run away, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> she has an option to be like, man, I just met this guy like I got to get the fuck out of here, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like I don't want to deal with it. a lot of women did. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I never understood, you know, how strong of a person she really was. You know what I mean? To kind of just deal with that and like, be like, I'm going to stick with this guy and help him out. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So now I, I, I look back and I'm like, man, it's, you know, you, you see how strong that person next to you is. Yeah. You know what I mean, it's super rare. Very yeah. rare. No, no, and 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 I always knew it was genuine. You know what I mean? I, I always knew it was real because I ha- I had no money. You know what I mean? I'm a I'm a lance corporal. I'm a young guy. Um, I'm from Cudahy. Yeah. She she found the guy from Cudahy. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Which is like we're we don't have you know we're not we're not doing well. You know. What she mean? didn't find some Bel Air dude. Yeah. Like. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And and she was never used to a guy like me, like being in gangs or in crews. You know what I mean? Like she. She never, she never lived that lifestyle. Right. But there was something that she saw in me that she was like, man, she, I don't think she saw me as no gangster or none of that shit. You know, she didn't see none of that in me. Yeah. She just saw, you know, that I was a nice guy. You know what I mean? She believed that. It takes a special person to see through those outer layers of scar tissue and, and, and violence and chaos and see the beautiful person inside that you really are. Because that side of you that wanted to your mom to approve, yeah. that side that wanted to show, you know, show that to your mother, show that to your show that to the Marine Corps, find yeah. that respect, all of that. Debbie saw that. Yeah. That's who she saw. And that's who you are. But those yeah. things outside of it, all the extra, all that she was willing to look past that. Yeah. Because of what she saw as a genuine man that you were. Which is pretty incredible. Yeah, because even when I first met her, like before I even left to Afghanistan, I would go to house parties in LA, you know, and we were we were always packing a gun. Yeah. And when you go into these house parties, they search the guys; they don't search the girls. So it was one of our first few dates, and I had a gun, and I I told Debbie, hey, "Put this gun in your purse because they're not gonna search you." But when we get in there, just tuck it in my, give it to me back, you know, put it in my waist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she did it without question. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. she, she did it. And I told you about this this idea that I had for this company. She's a shovel grabber, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, she just did it. And and I knew that she was willing to, you know, ride with me. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's amazing, man. So. Pretty she, special. So when you, you know, what do you, what do you remember about those guys? You know, you, you lost quite a few guys. You know, yeah, from from three five, and I think it's always important to you know to say those names and, yeah, and yeah. to talk about those guys. So, so in my platoon, I lost um, my lieutenant, uh, Lieutenant Kelly, and we lost Sergeant Tani. I was first squad, second squad, second squad leader, Sergeant Tani, and then we lost uh, Derek Wyatt. He was with third squad, so. And then, and then in between that, we had a couple amputees. Mm. You know, we probably had like six amputees. Yeah. 
Wow. That survived, you know? Wow. And I think it's crazy to me because the good guys either die or get hurt. You know what I mean? Like the like the good leaders. Yeah, yeah. That's what I've noticed. Yeah. And it's like, man, like my lieutenant, you know what I mean? Who had, he already had been to Iraq even before he got to us because he was a prior enlisted. Okay. So when he got to us, he wasn't this, this rookie lieutenant, you know what I mean? He yeah. already had done um, Fallujah. Yeah. You know, and, and he was already, he already had a combat, you know, deployment and everything. Yeah. So, and I didn't even, nobody knew that his dad was General Kelly. Oh, wow. You know, because he wasn't that kind of guy. He wasn't that kind of guy who who talked and, you know, wanted to let people know who his dad was for respect. Like, this guy never talked about it. He Nobody knew. Mm. Maybe maybe the higher-ups, but none of the young Marines, nobody at our level knew. But so you already respected this guy a lot. I already respected him because he would listen to us. Yeah, you know what I mean. He wanted to know about my life in L.A. You know what I mean. He wanted to know like my my street life. You know what I mean. He he was interested, yeah. and I had there was nobody other people that were really interested in that. You know what I mean. They just looked at it like oh fuck you know. But he was from he was from Boston, I think, or I would tell him my stories in L.A. and it was like it was mind-blowing to him you know yeah yeah and he would take us on on runs and pt and this guy was always in the front he was always leading by example so to me i was like man this guy doesn't get tired you know <laughs> he, he he doesn't get tired so as a junior marine or no i was already on my second deployment um we had respect for him you know everybody respected him yeah and Derek wyatt um, he got he went on the first mute on the mute with us, so I already knew him from there. And then he was gonna go to Afghanistan with us, so I respected him too. He was already a sergeant, and his story was well, before we went to Afghanistan. We were in um in Bridgeport. We were doing some cold weather training, and we were shooting with blanks. And some way somehow he had a life round on his, and he shot one of the instructors. Oh wow. Yeah, he shot one of the instructors, and they line us up, and we have BFAs on the on the rifle, uh-huh. the little red cap, and his rifle had a hole through it. Oh, and he's like, "Fuck!" I shot somebody, you know. Like we we're trying to figure out who did it, and they're looking at rifles. They're like, "Fuck!" It was Wyatt, you know. He shot yeah. the instructor, and good thing that he barely grazed them. Oh, okay, wow. You know, because we wow. were doing a a a live um. A range and the instructors were in front of us but we had blanks you know what i mean yeah but his rifle was shot and shot one of the instructors wow he could have killed them you know yeah so he ends up getting demoted demoted from sergeant to corporal hmm. and he ends up getting killed you know jeez in wow. Afghan. and that that was that later was that after you'd already been hurt yeah all yeah. three of them um got hit after after yeah. me Wow. Those guys, uh, you know, how important is it to you to, to honor those memories and, and to, you know, continue to keep those legacies alive and talk about those guys? I mean, you know, it, it's been 10 years and I feel like every year that goes by, it kind of just, it, it doesn't fade away, but it's something that I don't really talk much about. I, I know inside, you know, in my mind and and inside me that 
oh, this is the day that it happened, and you know, I, I, I'll have a beer. You know what I mean? Yeah. But every year, I kind of just try to forget about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, because I felt like the first year I was like posting on Instagram, Facebook, I was like, oh, this, this, you know. Yeah. Second year, I was like, damn, a little story. Third year, boom, boom, and then ten years later, it's kind of like, even with my injury, like. I don't really care about it, my injury. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't care about my story anymore. I don't care about that because I just, I've moved on. You know yeah. what I mean? But, and, and you know that those, you know that those guys would want you to do exactly. that. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, like I always say, like if, if I, if I was the guy who died in my unit or my platoon and, and I'm looking at my buddies down here, mm-hmm. they're getting this food. He's depressed because he's thinking about me. Yeah, I'll be I'll be fucking pissed. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'll be pissed. I'll be like, yeah, I'll be like, get the fuck up and go do something. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Go go enjoy your life. I'm be not happy. the I'm the one not there anymore. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. I'm the one out there. Go enjoy your life. You yeah, know what I mean? be happy. And that's the way I see it too. You know what I mean? I, I'm I look at these guys and I'm like, I know they're they're strong leaders. You know what I mean? Yeah. And when you're a strong leader. You don't think about yourself. You think about others. You know what I mean? Mm. And I know that they wouldn't want me to, like, think about that moment every fucking day. You know what I mean? And just, and, and, and affect the future that, like, my family. You know what I mean? Because a lot of these times, a lot of guys, they go so hard where, like, man, I got to get fucked up today. But it's really affecting your family, you know, because you become a different person when you're drunk, when you, when you're depressed, when you're sad, you know, it affects people around you. Right. It's not just you. It's not just you. You know what I mean? So there's, there's, there's ways to, you know, to remember your, your, your brothers. There's way to, uh, there's ways to, to keep their legacy going. You know what I mean? Like for me, I, I cycle now, you know what I mean? And when there's yeah. moments that, that I feel pain or I want to give up and I know I have a little bit left, I think about these people, you know what I mean? I think about those moments. I think about that and I'm like, fuck, hell no, I'm not going to quit right now. And and that little extra helps me, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And That's honoring are, that person way more than going yeah. out and going on a bender. Yeah, and, and those are the ways, you know, I'm like, I got to get that, like now I'm like, I got to get that gold medal and I know that I have, I have some, some motivation along the way that's going to help me get there, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, Josue, I don't think we've ever talked too much about your mental struggles, but you know, did you did you struggle a lot mentally when you when you got started going through rehab and you know started finding your way, or how did you deal with any of that, or did you not feel a trauma mentally? You know what the 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 toughest part was just accepting myself. Mm. You know, accepting myself and accepting that you're missing a leg, buddy. You know what I mean? Like you're you're missing an eye, so. So whoever looks at you a certain way, get used to it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that in the beginning, the first couple of years, that was real tough for me because I was embarrassed. Yeah. I was embarrassed to to go to, to go into a restaurant. I was embarrassed to walk around people because I was I was incompetent about myself. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that was probably my biggest struggle, just getting my confidence back and just realizing uh this is you this yeah. is this this ain't gonna change this is you so you either gotta accept it or you're gonna go crazy yeah 
Did you do you think being do you think getting into athletics and things like that really helped with that confidence as far as knowing you could still do still live an active lifestyle and still create something of a of a legacy for yourself as an athlete? Yeah, I think uh disabled sports really helped me out. Yeah. Cuz when I got to the hospital too, they introduced me to wheelchair basketball, cycling and all this that that I felt like I had other guys in there going through the same thing too. Mm. You know what I mean? So I've always, like, like I said, you know, I went to the streets because I was looking for that, for that brotherhood or those friends. You know, in the Marine Corps, I picked out my friends and I was like, man, this is my team here. You know, and then when I got injured as an amputee, I fell in that in, in that category again, and I started looking for people that I can relate to. Yeah, and it was other amputees. It was other guys from different units that had just gone through the same shit that I did. And now here we are playing wheelchair basketball and we're traveling as a team. And now I'm not afraid to walk into a mall and with other amputees because we're all walking strong. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we're all joking, laughing about it now. And it's like, hell yeah, you know? Yeah. You're not the only one that people are staring at anymore. Yeah. So all of that helped me out, you know? It helped me out the first couple of years. And then, and then eventually I was ready to be on my own. I was like, fuck, like. I don't want this attention anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It was like, it was, I don't want it anymore. I just want to be myself and I don't want nobody to think for my service. Right. I don't want people to, you know, tell me, you know. If, you wanted to be successful for the sake of who you were, yeah. not because the Marine Corps made you that uh, yeah. or your injury made you that, right? And yeah. I, I think that's something interesting. You know, I, I discuss that a lot with my producers with this new podcast that we're doing with Texas Public Radio, where, you know, I talked about, we were talking about Trinidad, uh, you know, from Trinidad Jeans, yeah. and how he really wants to be a successful denim designer uh, because he's a successful denim designer, not because he was in the Marines, yeah. you know, not because he's a veteran. Like, you know, well, thank you for your service. These are the best jeans I've owned. Uh, yeah. But if you were a regular civilian, these would be crap. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, like. So I think there's something unique about the infantrymen that really you want. You don't want. You don't want to be successful because of that, because of your service. You want to be successful because you you are good at what you do. Yeah, I've I've always you know. I've always thought about that. I didn't want people to know me. Oh man, you know he's an amputee. He has a purple heart. You know he he was this. You know with three five or you know he he went to Afghanistan and he got injured, and that's it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I want people to like. I've always like to me that doesn't make me a hero. You know what I mean? It no. doesn't make me a hero because I got injured because I I served. Like to me, that's that's part of what I've been through, and to me it was. It was easy. You know what I mean? Now, uh, you know, I got I got kicked to the floor with my injury and, you know, I was down. Mm -hmm. So the person that I become from that, that's what's going to make me. You know what I mean? That's, that's what I want to be known. I want to be known for somebody who went through all this shit but created something, you know, with his life. You know what I mean? And did something positive and, and inspire other people, you know? And... And along the way, you know, without me even looking for it, it's going to come. You know what I mean? Because of the way I think. You know what I mean? Of the way I, I see life. You know what I mean? Of the way I, I, I approach things without, without, um, without looking for anything in it. Just doing it because I love it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's important. Talk about, you know, now you didn't have a positive male role model in your life. But now 
you've got three kids. So how important is it to you? How are you trying to change that their lives and, and be different in the way that you never, you know, could? Because you didn't have that positive male influence. How how are you trying to provide that for your for your sons now? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like everything that I went through, you know, led me to this happiness. You know what I mean? Like every, you know, now that I look back, I'm like, I I was asking God why why me why me you know what I mean? and now I'm at the point in my life and it's like now I know why yeah. it wasn't gonna it wasn't me and now that I have my three boys um I get to raise raise my kids you know what I mean yeah I'm not stuck in a you know having to go to a job and and coming home late and you know seeing my kids whenever that 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 free time comes. Now I, I wake up with my kids every morning, make them breakfast, and I'm part of their life 24-7. Yeah. And for me, uh, not having that male role model in my life, and I look at my kids, and I see, you know, I do all the things with them. It kind of closes that gap that I was missing in the past. Yeah. You know what I mean? So wow. everything that I was missing, th- those feelings that I was missing in the past, that were hurting me that I was like, man, I can't believe I didn't have this. I didn't have that. Now that I do them for my kid, they're disappearing. You know what I mean? And it's like, it, it, it blows my mind just how it just turned around and, and, and something like that, um, can heal me from everything that I thought was pain. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, That's pretty special. Yeah. And, and, and I'm lucky, you know, that, that I get to see, every step of the way for my kids from day one from the from the day that they were born to you know waking up late at nights to you know uh giving them their bottle changing diapers teaching them how to you know how to go to the to the bathroom every every step of the way is like i've i've been in it me and my wife together seen it you know what i mean yeah and and to me it's it, it I, I love it you know what i mean i love it and and I, I'm excited uh, to see to see them grow and just to be that mentor to them. You know what I mean? To teach them everything that I learned the hard way to teach my kids. You know about respect, about working hard, about you know not being intimidated of anything. You know, asking questions because for me, growing up, I was intimidated by everything. I didn't want to ask questions. I just wanted to be the guy in the back and survive, you know? Yeah. With my kids, I'm like, no, like you guys have to ask questions and I'm here to protect you and to make sure that, you know, you you have something to fall back on and it's me. You know yeah. What I mean? How much was coming to Temecula part of that separation, that geographical separation that you needed from that old lifestyle? I mean, it was good. It was good. Coming to Temecula and, and staying here was good because... It kind of made me and Debbie even closer, you know what I mean? Because we didn't have family around, and it was just me and her. Our first kid came, and it was just me and her going through that struggle. You know, our second kid came, our third kid came, and it was just me and her just learning how to be adults, you know? Yeah. So it really made us, you know, if my injury didn't make us strong, our kids and going through that alone, you know, definitely made us stronger you know 
It's interesting you say that because, um, you know, normally the normally the Hispanic homes are very connected. You know, like I go over yeah. to my uh, friend's house, Chris, and you know his his mom and dad like live across the street from his grandma and his aunt and uncle are across the street and they're all at each other's houses all the time and like spending all that time together, you know, big Mexican family. And that's like, you know, tradition in San Antonio. You yeah. see, I see it with all my friends, but you know, one of the funny things is, and, and I think that's wonderful, but I also see there being a great value in being able to separate and learn on your own. Cause my parents did that. You know, my dad moved my mom away from Tucson when he joined yeah. the Air Force. They moved to San Antonio, dude. I don't have any family in Texas. Like, it's just my mom and my dad. So he talked about the refining fires of yeah, like yeah. them having to learn things and burn those rough edges off, right? And become one, you know? And I, I think that's what you're saying, right? Like you had to experience that together. Yeah, we, you know, we had to, we had to go through that. And, you know, for a while, we did want to go back to LA. We did want to be around our family. We, we missed, you know, all that. But, you know, Temecula, LA is not that far. You know what I mean? And I knew as soon as I had, we had our first kid that it, Temecula was the place that we had to raise our kids, you know, in order for us to change our, our, our future, you know, our past. Right, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. It's Temecula, a different culture. Temecula was the place and, and, you know, we, we fell in love with it and, and, LA, you know, I, I would go, I would go back to LA to vi visit my mom and I would just be stressed out, you know what I mean? Because there's so much, you know, that, that I've been through in LA and there's so many memories and there's so much tension, traffic, you know, everything that just gives you a little anxiety. Yeah. That place you know? makes me very anxious, you know? dude. Yeah. So yeah. I loved it, but it wasn't until I ended up in Temecula that I realized like, man, this is peaceful. You know what I mean? This yeah. is. This is quiet. So I will go back to LA and, you know, deal with that. And as soon as I got home, it was like quiet, quiet. You know what I mean? Like you don't hear sirens. You don't hear um, noise in the streets after, after like, even during the day, you don't hear nothing. You yeah. Know? And I got used to that. I got used to that. And it was like, I, I like the quietness. I feel at peace here. Mm -hmm. And little by little, it just grew in me, and and you know, family will come visit whenever they can, and I was okay with that. You know, I I didn't need, I didn't need that every weekend. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It was it, it was okay, and we found our our happy place. Yeah, you, you got a you got a new happy place coming. Oh yeah, <laughs> we got to get to see it a little bit today. Head out to uh, Gary Sinise Foundation, what they're doing for you. And I, and I did want to talk about that because it is important to have organizations out there that back us up and, you know, really create a powerful network around us. And, you know, there have been so many occasions where I've heard nothing but praise being sung about Gary Sinise and his foundation. You guys have a new house coming up. And when I got there, I was like, oh, I, I think we're I think we're at the wrong house this looks like uh this looks like uh shack's home or something <laughs> like this looks like a lake is this lebron's place <laughs> yeah yeah i mean if anybody deserves it you do but talk about that and what that's been like you got a custom home being built in uh temecula it's beautiful by the way uh yeah. you're pretty probably pretty excited about that yeah you know um right now they're 
they're almost done with the house so it should be ready in march of next year 2021 and you know it's just an an accessible home it's um it's a place for me to you know be in my wheelchair and just do you know get around the house without any problem yeah so for them you know for them to um create something like that for me i think you know is is gonna help me out in in the years to come yeah because there's a lot of things that i don't even think about right now that i that i'm gonna struggle later right like right now i have energy i you know i can put on my leg and use it um for hours but as soon as i get home um i want to be in a place where I, i have no pain yeah. So when I wear my leg, I'm always in pain. People don't see it, but I'm in the streets. I'm in pain. So every time I get home, as soon as I take this leg off, it, it just like is instant it's so relief. Com- instant relief, you know. Yeah. I sit in my wheelchair, and to have a house like the Gary Sneeze house, um, where you don't have to worry about steps, you don't have to worry. About, everything is accessible accessible to you in that wheelchair. Um, it's life changing. You know that's I mean? huge man that's awesome um you know how much you we talked a little bit earlier about sports and all that that's provided as far as kind of you know creating a a good environment and structure to bring back some of that confidence how how has cycling you know and can you talk a little bit about that process and preparing for the invictus games obviously with covid and you know things haven't gone crazy a lot of these events this year have been canceled but you're you're preparing for invictus 2021 right yeah 2021 uh i played wheelchair basketball for a long time and uh i got invited i got invited to invictus in 2018 which was in australia and i did that and they had me do wheelchair basketball cycling and rugby so I was I was good at basketball, you know, that was my main sport, but cycling I had a different bike and I've done marathons in in a in a hand cycle but it's more of a recumbent. So you lay lay on your back and you're you're just using your arms. And for the Invictus Netherlands which was supposed to be this year 2020, I had a different mindset. I was like I didn't like that bike and I didn't like I didn't like the bike that I used in the in the Australia and Victus games and I was like man I didn't even practice I didn't even like I wasn't even taking it serious you know what I mean and I got and I had got and I got gold in basketball in 2018 mm. and I didn't get anything in cycling because I didn't take it serious yeah my clothes was baggy the bike the cables now that I look at it I'm like man this shit I'm, I was all fucked up <laughs> so there's no way I was gonna win there was no way you know what I mean yeah. So now, uh, when I thought about, I I got invited again to um the Invictus Netherlands, which was this year. I was like, hell no, I I need to get gold in cycling too. So I ended up asking a buddy for a different bike, and it's a kneeler, so you sit on your knee instead of lay on your back. And they're still kind of the same concept, but I felt like the kneeler was more for an amputee like me. And I've seen other 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 amputees use that bike. And they're just so much stronger going up hills. So I was like, fuck, I got to get one of those bikes. So I asked my buddy to let me borrow it. And I was like, I need to, I need to start training. Because basketball, I already have it on lock. Yeah. You know, cycling, I need to get into it. So I started training. And I was like, man, why the, why didn't I use this bike a long time ago? You know, because I, 
I already had the power. I already had the upper body strength and I had the endurance. You know, I just had to learn gears. I had to learn how to how to adjust, you know, how to change them going up a hill or flats. And and I fell in love with it. Yeah. You know, I fell in love with it. And then COVID hits, you know, in March, COVID hits. And everybody in here in California, they're locking everybody up. They're like, you can't go nowhere. Yeah. So I was like, fuck, I'm going to use my bike. That's social distancing by myself, you know, on the, on the road. <laughs> yeah. So I hit it hard and, and I was riding my bike and I was like, man, I love this. You know, I was like, hell yeah. And I started finding, you know, a passion for it. And I was like, I was like, man, I could be the best. I'm like, I want to be the best hand cycler in the world. You know what I mean? I'm like, because if I'm going to commit to something, I want to be the best. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I'm not going to waste my time just being a, re- uh, a regular guy on a hand cycle. Yeah, I'm like if I'm gonna if I'm gonna do this shit, if I'm gonna you know take time away from my kids, my wife, it's gotta be worth it, right? You know what I mean? And that's the way I see a lot of things now. Yeah. So when I picked when I started riding that bike, I I started getting competitive, and and I was like, man, I have, I I have what it takes, you know, to 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 be a good hand cyclist and make the Paralympics. Yeah. So now my goal is like, yeah, I'm gonna compete at the Invictus Games and. I have to get a gold there and that will kind of like let me know that I'm ready to make it to a USA team, to a Paralympics, you know? Yeah. kind of give me that confidence that I need to get to the next level. That's awesome. So that's where I'm at now. You know, I, I just got a new carbon fiber bike that I never thought like I was going to get, you know what I mean? Yeah. I felt the weight on that. My yeah. gosh, dude. That's incredible. So now I got top of the end bike yeah i mean a top of the line bike you know now is up to me to put in that work and and you know reach the goal that i want to reach you know yeah no excuses at this point right yeah there's no excuses you know yeah. so that's where i'm at right now i'm trying to i'm trying to you know join the the paralympic team make their roster and then little by little move up in ranks there and and try to you know beat other guys in that level and what I loved about cycling too, that kind of just, I was, I thought I'm, I'm 31. I thought I was old for cycling, but a lot of those cyclists or those Paralympians, they're in their mid forties and they're still on top of the game. Wow. So that's where I saw the future. And I was like, man, I'm 31. Even if it takes me four years to, um, to get to the level, I'll probably be 35. You know what I mean? I'll You'll still, still have, be one of the younger cyclists. I'll still have a long way to go. You know what I mean? And and you know here you have you know 20 24 uh friends i think and then you have 2028 la and i'm like man if i could do these two especially la i'm like that would be a dream come true for me you know to do the paralympics in la it'll be you know yeah yeah, and you'll still drink. be in a you'll still be in a prime spot, dude. Yeah, like thirty nine, you know? that's amazing. Yeah, with basketball, it's like yeah, you, you're past thirty, you're north, man. Yeah, yeah, basketball was different. Yeah, and and I I see a future, you know, in cycling. I'm like, man, I love it, and I love everything that um that that has to do with bikes, you know. Yeah. And now that I see my kids, they're riding their bikes, and I'm like, man, I want to learn how to fix my bike. I want to learn how to fix their bike, so they could come to me when they need something or on the spot, I could fix it. Yeah, you know, you're truly you're truly doing all the things and filling all the spots and the holes that you oh, know yeah. your father never got to fill for you. Yeah, yeah, and that's pretty special. Yeah, I, I think that's 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 important for 
for me, you know what I mean? It's, a, it's something that I'm like, it's my priority, you know what I mean? It's like, I have to be in my kid's life, in my kid's life every step of the way, every step of the way, you know? Yeah. And I want to, you know, I want them to come to me and, and be like, man, I need to go to my dad if I need something, you know? Like, yeah. he's, he's a man to go to, you know what I mean? That's cool. So. Yeah. So, you know, you talked about, you know, you've you've had, it was really just getting confidence back for you with your injury and being wounded. You've obviously now, you know, having been out of the Marine Corps for a while, seen the problem with suicide and guys taking their own lives. But, you know, what would you say to those guys that are struggling from your unit, you know, that are having those troubles, you know, about getting getting up and finding something else, you know, finding a life? Because, you know, you and I had a great talk last night yeah. about guys that can't get away from their past. They're still telling the old war stories again and again and again. It's okay. F- it's okay to tell those stories from time to time. Yeah. Like a reunion or, you know, like, you know, when you're amongst your buddies for like, you know, and and you're drinking or whatever and having a good time. But when it becomes like a repetitive thing where it's just like you're stuck in that same cycle in that loop, it's like, guys, this doesn't have to be the best part of your life. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I I would tell these guys, you know, I understand that time heals. I mean, time heals and, and... like I said, some people got to go through something real hard in their life to get them together. So if it wasn't, if a lot of these guys survived Afghanistan, if they survived Iraq, they still haven't gone through something real tough that's going to affect them and change them forever. You know what I mean? So I feel like a lot of these guys, they're going to come home. They're going to have that PTSD. But along the way, something's going to happen that's going to change them. So I know time heals. But at the same time, I will say, you know, don't let that be your glory days. You know what I mean? Look for something that's going to make you uh, talk about for the rest of your life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like something out here that, that has nothing to do with war, that has nothing to do with um with combat, you know? Yeah. Like find something that that's going to benefit you and your family. Yeah. All those things that made you great as a Marine make you great in what you're doing now as a dad. And you bet you don't, you don't live in that loop. Yeah. And, and, and like, I would tell, I would tell these guys, it's like, don't forget who who you were either. You know what I mean? Like the good qualities that you had as a Marine, like, don't forget that. Even if it it seems corny, corny, like out here in, in the, in the civilian world, use whatever made you that great leader in the military use it out here you know what i mean and i guarantee you it'll work for you but the moment you get out and you're like people don't understand me people people don't get it you know Mm -hmm. they they don't um they they can't relate to me well it's like nah like be who you are that led you to that great leader be that same person out here and i guarantee you people will notice it oh yeah people will, will acknowledge it you know what i mean and people will respect that People, people are searching for that, man. People are searching for it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, They're searching for that loyalty. They're searching for that leadership. They're oh, yeah. searching for somebody that draws that attention. And I think what guys get caught up in is their differences, and they treat that as a weakness. Exactly. Like, oh, yeah. I'm different than everybody. Oh, man. Nobody recognizes me. Instead of doing the same great things that me, you're an infantryman. Why do you care? No, you no, know, yeah. You're strong. Like, and, and the moment that the moment that I said, fuck what anybody thinks about me, well, and I got my confidence back was the moment that I was like, fuck, it's over. You know, I'm, 
I'm going to, you know, I'm going to walk into this place, you know, with my head held high. And if, you know, one of the, the, the quotes that stuck with me from day one was, if you act like you're disabled, people are going to treat you like yeah. you're disabled. Yeah. So for me, I believe that. You know what I mean? Because I have a lot of people that are like, man, I forgot you're disabled. You know, I forgot you were missing a leg because I don't talk about it. I, if, I, if I'm going to do something, I just do what I got to do. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to make excuses, you know, and I'm going to do it. When when we were walking the grounds at your house earlier and we were going down that hill and you put your arm, you put your arm on my shoulder yeah. as I was walking. I was like, what? I was like, what? And then yeah. I looked and I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, He's missing yeah. his leg. <laughs> nah, You're yeah. right, dude. Like I didn't even I didn't even think about it. I don't even think about it. Yeah. Even coming out here, like I get reminded of it if I look down or something. Oh yeah. But when you put your hand on my shoulder, I was like, what? And then I realized I was like, like oh yeah, he needs my help he on the grave. That's yeah. Weird. yeah. And and that's what I tell guys that's what I would tell guys too. It's like, man, if you if you categorize yourself as oh shit, I have severe PTSD, you're telling everybody, you know, then you're just building that cloud around you you know you're doing it to yourself you know just mm-hmm. just you know do what you have to do and just don't create that negative bubble around you mm-hmm. you know because the more you believe in something the more it becomes real yeah you know that's mean? very well said you know Josue, it's been a real privilege having you on the podcast i appreciate you coming on um, you know, it's always an honor. It's an honor to get to spend time with you. It's cool now because last time I covered you, I didn't know you from Adam. You know, I just said, heard yeah. your story and I don't even remember how it quite came up. I think it might've been through, I'm not sure how it came up. I don't even remember, but yeah. well, that's not important. Anyways, what's now great is like, I come here as a friend and a brother. I know you, you know, it's cool. Cause anytime I step into a room with somebody, it's like, I, they're my brother. I know yeah. them because they're, they're, they've been in the same mindset that I had, right? We all join for different reasons, but we all have a certain similar mindset. Yeah. But when you get to know somebody through the project and then time moves on and it's been a couple years now, it's pretty cool to see those friendships grow. So I appreciate your friendship and uh, I appreciate who you are as a man and you make a mean carne asada. And I always take... I always take good. Uh, I, I always feel so positive about my about my wonderful Hispanic relationships. <laughs> Being from San Antonio, because I love that culture so much, man. So thank you for welcoming me into your home, and thank you for your friendship. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, no, no, I appreciate it, man. And you know, I feel like you know, there's a lot more to come. You know yeah. what I mean, like this is. It's just the beginning. Yeah, you know what I mean, yeah, I agree. I agree completely, man. Uh, well, for those of you listening out there, don't forget to check out Josue's story through his project. He has an incredible project we did a couple years ago. Uh, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Most of all, don't forget our legacies are the mission. This has been the Veterans Project Podcast with our founder, Tim K. Check us out at www.thevetsproject.com, on Instagram at The Veterans Project, Facebook, The Veterans Project, and Twitter at Project underscore Veteran. Thanks for listening. And don't forget, our legacies are the mission.